We meet today in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 17. This chapter before us continues with the man who is lukewarm. Chapter 7 concluded with a pessimistic view of man's attainment of wisdom. Solomon is known as the wisest man who ever lived, but even his wisdom was insufficient to understand life fully. In his search for wisdom, Solomon found many sinful people, but a few righteous ones. In spite of the failures of wisdom, it is still the most attractive virtue since it helps bring inner happiness. Now Solomon blows neither hot nor cold. The moralist and the do-gooders, the moralist, the people who do good, those who depend on their works, say that they are living by the golden rule, but they don't seem to have an idea of what the golden rule is and what it requires. And Solomon observes that there doesn't seem to be much difference between the wicked and the righteous. Here Solomon shakes himself out of his depression. They are true wise men, and while true wisdom must be realistic, it needs not make a person perpetually gloom. Here is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 5. Who is like a wise man? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, What are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart descends both time and judgment. Now, in a world where wisdom is seldom seen, Solomon commends the wise man here. The insight that wisdom brings to a man allows him to know the true interpretation to be placed upon events and brings joy that is indicated in the shining of the face. The hardness of the face when viewed in the light of Deuteronomy 28.50 and Daniel 8.23 suggests a sinful and rebellious heart. The face then mirrors the personality. The shining countenance is a reflection of a new joy that has been born in a soul that has entered into the narrow way of wisdom. The man who wishes to stay in the narrow way of wisdom is admonished by the preacher to practice certain truths in the day-to-day -day practical affairs of life. One of the primary truths to be practiced is that of obedience to authority, though exactly what level of authority Solomon has in mind is difficult to prove from the text. 
Some Bible scholars feel that the king, in verse 2 there, is a reference to the Lord. Perhaps the king should be taken as a political ruler, and the passage viewed as an Old Testament parallel to Romans chapter 13. The oath of God is an oath of allegiance to a government made in the name of God. The man who appears before the king must be very careful in his conduct. He must never appear overly anxious to depart, lest the king should suspect some intrigue. Unless one desired certain death, departure from the presence of a monarchy could be made only after the proper signal was given. Now, the submissive man will never participate in evil and consequently will not have to experience the ruler's power of judgment. To incur the wrath of one who possesses such power would indeed constitute a foolish course of action. A man ought to be very careful about questioning the actions of such a powerful figure. Faithful compliance with his laws will preserve a man from evil. Now, the first half of verse 5 is a quotation of Proverbs 19 verse 16, and the last half is aided by the preacher. The preacher believes that the wise man alone knows a time of judgment. That is, he knows that God keeps his own counsels, and that he does not share the knowledge of his purpose with mortals, for the discerning, the power and the wisdom of the king stands as a challenge to moral obedience, for they become the symbol of God in his mysteriousness. To be able to be discerning, wisdom is needed. How does one get this wisdom? Only Christ, who is real wisdom, can change a man's life. He can come into a life and bring excitement, joy and peace. He can give us all the things that are needed today to deliver us from living a mediocre existence. He will keep you out of trouble. He will enable you to be careful of what you do. Another thought is that the king can take a stand for what he believes because he has the liberty to do so. And that too is an important thought, my friend. Why don't you Live like a king and take a stand for Christ. Young people feel that they must have the approval of the crowd, of the pair. So they really don't know what freedom is. And many of them take drugs for no other reasons than to be accepted by the crowd. Now, you and I are living in a world where there is rebellion against God. That is the direction many kind is moving. But I can bow my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can call him my Lord and my Savior. That is real freedom. I am not going in the direction of the crowd. I have made my choice. If you want real freedom, come to Christ. Jesus said, Therefore, if the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. John 8 Verse 36. You see, my friend, here is real freedom. Judging like the king.
taking a stand for what he believes because he has the freedom to do so. Now, it is hard for people to understand that the person who wants simply to do good is just as much in the rebellion against God as the criminal in the jail and that he is bound as securely by the rules of his group and the patterns that they set before him. He is bound to a lifestyle that goes down the middle road. A lifestyle that goes down the middle road is the lifestyle of a moralist, one who simply lives to do good. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 8 no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. If the moralist continues taking that cocktail, taking that alcohol, taking those drugs to conform to the group that he associates with, one of these days, he is going to be addicted and will become a drug addict and alcoholic. Oh, there are millions of them in our continent, and they all seek to do good, yet they are slaves. And finally, death will come to him. No one has power in the day of death. You see, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war. You have entrapped yourself. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What a picture of that which is happening in our contemporary society. When judgment is not executed, men do more and more evil because evil is in the hearts of men. Even men who call themselves Christians continue in sin saying, Look, I've been in sin for five years and God has done nothing about it. Well, that already reveals his judgment upon you, my friend. He has done nothing about it because he is way down the road waiting for you. In fact, he can wait until eternity. You can't. Second Corinthians 6 verse 2 tells us, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Repent. Turn to God. You see, God grants you today so that you can turn to him, not so that you can continue to be against him. Death too is oppressive and must be faced by all men, for there is no discharge from the demands of death's war on humanity. Inventive man has never yet found a way to get around the death's demands. The authors of oppression think that they shall get away with they are evil since God does not judge them immediately. The man of wisdom waits, knowingly affirming that the way to ultimate profit in this life and the next is the fear of God. Ultimately, 
Those who practice evil will receive a full recompense for their deeds. They may enjoy long life, but their end will be tragic and without profit since they have not practiced the fear of God. The adulterer, the fornicator, the idolater, and even the homosexual may forget their sins, but their sins will not forget them. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 14 There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that they are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, they are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said, that is also vanity. Now, although the men of wisdom here can affirm by faith the ultimate profitableness of fearing God, the earth still remains a place of vanity. Life under the sun is in many ways an enigma. The wicked often prosper and the righteous often suffer. This is certainly problematic and may cause a man to initially posit the profitableness of pursuing pleasure. Solomon observes that when you look at the surface of things, there doesn't seem to be too much difference between the wicked and the righteous. It seems that it really doesn't make any difference whether one is wicked or righteous because both come to the same end. But remember, Solomon is speaking like that because he is experimenting and dealing with life apart from God. Is it a true statement that the wicked and the righteous move on the same road? I call your attention to the psalmist Asaph, who was perplexed, who had almost slipped, who had almost backslidden. What was the thing that was lingering in his mind? Why is it that the wicked seem to prosper, seem to be getting all their act together and things are going well for them, while the righteous are the ones who are suffering? And Psalm 73 tells us, Until I came to the sanctuary, then I understood their end. So my friend, life under the sun will look at the wicked and the righteous as if they come to the same end. But life in a relationship with God shows a different picture. You need to know that there is an end. There is a destiny. There will be an outcome. And judgment is awaiting both the wicked and the righteous. And what will happen there makes all the difference for what the righteous may be going through at the moment. And again, that relationship with God will not end up saying life is meaningless, but will seem life with a purpose. And indeed, God has a purpose for life. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 15 says, So I commended enjoyment, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. Now, eat, drink, and be merry. He concluded that the best thing to do is to enjoy life and to enjoy the labor, which God gives him 
under the sun. That is the most empty philosophy of life that anyone can have. But admittedly, he is looking at life like that because he is away from God. Here is Ecclesiastes 8, verse 16 to verse 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Again here, the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge knows its limits as well. The more one studies, the more enigmas that are observed. If a man attempts to answer all these enigmas, all these questions, he is troubled day and night, and he becomes the stranger to sleep. He will not sleep. The preacher once again affirms the inappropriateness of these shallow responses to the perplexities of life. The man of wisdom acknowledges that he does not know, nor will he ever know, the way in which God effects his sovereign purposes. In the presence of such a lack of knowledge, wisdom's man refuses to occupy the seat of the pessimist, rather commits everything to God. And that is my charge to you. Instead of going the route of the pessimist, commit everything to God. It is the sovereign Lord of the universe who is at work. It is his work that is beyond our comprehension. But because it is his work, we know that it is holy and beautiful. For he is holy and beautiful and can do nothing that would in any way violate his character. The man of wisdom trusts in the Lord with all his heart. He leans not upon his own understanding. He acknowledges the hand of God as sovereign over all his ways and completely trusts in the direction of that hand. And that is a noble call you are called to. That is a noble call that I am called to. And may God enable us not to walk the route of the pessimist, the moralist, but the route of a believer who trusts in the God who is sovereign. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code two seven followed by 7264144475 from within south africa it's 0726414475